Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. I'm so excited to have three amazing guests join me today. We are going to be talking with Jane Epstein, Hope Sittler, and Maria Sokoloff, who are joining me today to talk about the prevention, intervention, and support that parents can find if they ever are in a situation where sibling sexual abuse has happened, is happening, or uh, was reported and um, what we can do as parents. Before I bring them on, I wanna just do some formal introductions of who they are and of their organization, Five Waves, um, because they are doing incredible work on a topic that already is very taboo. The idea of sexual abuse um, with children is already a you know heavy topic that most parents don't want to even think about. Um, but sibling sexual abuse is even more taboo. It's one of those um, situations where it's so complex that parents don't know what to do and they feel that they may be struggling with, you know, if this has happened to you, um, if it's happened to your child and you feel lost, um, this is definitely a conversation for you. But if you are a parent who has never had this experience yourself or ha this hasn't happened in your home, you should still tune in to listen to what we're going to talk about today because we have to have awareness in order to prevent this from happening. So we're going to talk about all of that today and I just want to quickly um, read their bios so you know who we're talking to today before I bring them on. So um, first with Maria Sokoloff. Maria is a survivor herself of sibling sexual trauma and an advocate for individuals and families who have experienced this mostly hidden tragedy. As a co-founder of the nonprofit FiveWaves.org, she helps promote worldwide awareness, voice education, and support, which is what WAVES stands for, around sibling sexual trauma and abuse. She went public with her story in 2020 with her memoir, The Invisible Key, Unlocking the Mystery of, of Chronic Pain, and also created the website HealingFromChronicPain.com to help those faced with trauma-based chronic pain. She is a member of the RAIN Speakers Bureau, has appeared on numerous podcasts, and has shared her story of incest, uh, intrafamilial abuse, and its effects in various blog posts. Um, let me introduce you also to Jane. Jane Epstein is also uh, joining us today. She is also a survivor and advocate uh, for survivors of sibling sexual abuse and trauma. Today, Jane is also the co-founder of both incestaware.org and fivewaves.org, an international 501c3 uh, advocacy group that offers information, support, and guidance about sibling sexual abuse and trauma. Her TEDx talk, entitled Giving Voice to Sibling Sexual Abuse, which is amazing, you can find it through the link in her bio, has reached over 375,000 people. Her story has was recently featured in People Magazine and her memoir will be released in the summer of 2023. 
She's also working on a children's book about sibling sexual trauma and body safety. And last but not least, Hope Sittler, who is using a pseudonym um, to protect her family's privacy, is a mom of three boys coping with sibling sexual trauma in her family. After finding out about the sexual abuse between her children, she turned to the internet, community, and worldwide contacts for, for information and support and found nothing. In March 2021, Hope founded the only parent group exclusively for parents coping with sibling sexual trauma on Facebook. Now with 450 parent members, Hope continues to moderate the group that continues to grow daily along with four partners. Hope founded FiveWaves.org, a nonprofit committed to confronting and healing sibling sexual trauma. Hope's goal is to share her lived experience with other parents facing this trauma and to bring global awareness to the issue in order to grow the resources that are so desperately needed for all of those who have been affected by sibling sexual trauma. Hope's story was also published in People's Magazine last year. So as you can see, we have an amazing um, panel of speakers that are joining me today to talk about this really important topic. I'm gonna bring them on now. Um, just want to give a quick trigger warning to anyone. Um, I, I know that as survivors ourselves um, or parents of, we are sensitive to, you know, sharing stories uh, appropriately and not exploitatively. So although we are giving a trigger warning, I know that we are sharing in a, in a respectful way, um, sensitive to other survivors. Well, we have a lot to cover and I'm going to just jump in if that's okay. Um, because I think, you know, we have a lot of parents that when I sent out this email, I got quite the response of parents that were very excited to hear more about this. Um, you know, a lot of them have very young children, so they might have, you know, a three-year-old and a newborn. And this was like the last thing that they would have thought to have to worry about or think about, right? So, um, Maria, I'll start with you. And I, I wanted to know if you can share, you know, I think because most parents are aware, unaware of this, um, can you share some statistics or facts around how common this type of abuse actually is? Yeah, absolutely. Um, first, let me start out by saying that there's not a lot of research. And because it's such a hidden, taboo, stigmatized issue that um, we don't have a lot of information. But what we do know is, um, first of all, about 3 to 5% of children um, experience this and are, are harmed sexually by a sibling. Um, and that's, you know, that's equivalent to about one mm -hmm. child in every classroom of 25 kids, if you want to think. Um, and that's, like I said, probably a, a vast underestimate of, of the reality because in fact, only about, uh, it's about 12% of, right. of people even ever tell. So about that, you know, we, everything is going to be magnified from what we even really know. Um, so it's, it's, it's very prevalent and it can happen anywhere, any, in any type of family, in any uh, socioeconomic class, in any family dysfunctional or functional. Um, yeah. It's really everywhere. It's so prevalent. Um, and it's, it's considered to be the most prevalent um, form of child sexual abuse in the home, for sure, and maybe even, we don't know yet, um, but maybe even overall yeah. for child sexual abuse. Um, and it's, just, it's just something that can be so, it's so it's also so shameful um, sort of for both sides and it's hard for children to come out as with any child sexual abuse, but when it's in right. the home, it's your own family and you don't want to break up your family. You, you depend on your family and, and your parents for, 
for survival. So it's our instinct right. almost not to tell. Um, so we also know that just in general, there's around, at least again, one third of child on child sexual abuse. And that's not just sibling, that's for any child, it could be a, a neighbor, a, you know, a peer. But um, that just shows that, that it is huge in and of itself. And yeah. we don't even know yet the percentage that is sibling. Um, and also when I say sibling, it can be, it can be cousins. It, we really, I think of it more when it's children living in the same home with, um, you know, and they could be step siblings, they could be, could be cousins, they, you know, anyone really in that situation, because it's a different dynamic when you're in the same home with yeah. parents all together. And it breaks up that family dynamic. Um, just some other statistics. Um, it's it's what we one thing we really want to get across too is that these are children who are who are causing the harm, and it's with treatment between ninety five to ninety eight percent do not go on to sexually harm as adults. So these are not people who become pedophiles. Yes, there's a small small percentage that that probably is, but that's not what we're looking at here. So, and I don't want to in any way as a survivor, and I know many, many survivors, I don't want in any way to minimize anyone's experience because I'm not saying some people really, we get backlash, honestly, Jay and I as survivors, or those, those people that hurt us is what a lot of, a lot of our peers say. But, um, but the truth is they are children and they can be rehabilitated or not and, and not go on to harm. So that's very important to us because in the area of, prevention, if we're promoting prevention, I feel very strongly that we need to be able to talk about this so that those children can speak up before they act, or if they did, before it continues on for years and years, because this does go on, on average, for five years. Is, um, right, what, right. What's, That's what's interesting. Okay, so you uh, you shared a lot there, so I just wanted to unpack a couple of three things. No, and that was great, yeah. <laughs> so thank you for, for sharing all okay. of that. Um, I think a couple of things parents need to be aware of and why there's such low um, rates of reporting, which you, you, you know, stated are that parents aren't sure what to do when they discover it. And it's very, there's a lot of fear, right, around like, what happens if I report and I don't want my children to be taken away? And like, what does that mean about my kids? And, you know, there's the fear of being ostracized either within the family or within the community. So I I understand why, um, you know, it would be difficult for a parent to know what to do or, or how to report or, you know, what they're supposed to do. And then because of that lack of reporting, we don't have reliable numbers. And I think with lots of other types of ch child sexual abuse, we don't know because children don't report. And if the parent isn't actively um, looking for those signs or isn't teaching body safety, um, you know, and, and again, if the child doesn't report uh, either one, you know, we have an issue of like not having, you know, enough statistics to really um, share what the scope of the problem probably is. And then with that, you know, the other point that I think was important that you made is that intervention, it makes a huge difference. And if we um, have more resources and more knowledge and um, support for this problem, then we can intervene in ways that can prevent this from um, escalating from happening uh, again to other children um, to get, you know, that child the necessary mental health support that they need so that, you know, I mean, I think that the, the child who's also the abuser goes through a lot. I think we, we tend to villainize, you know, that, that child who is the offender. Um, and a lot of times it can start out of curiosity and it just escalates because there is no intervention. So I think it's really important for parents to recognize that 
when we, um, you know, are in these kinds of situations, there's a dynamic that is really complex versus a situation where it's, you know, an adult or someone outside of the home um, that is much easier in a sense to villainize and feel like my child was innocent. But when you have two children and, you know, it's a very different dynamic, um, it's important to recognize that they both need support. And it's not about villainizing either child. It's about how do I intervene in a way that helps both children move forward um, in the best way possible to get them both on a healing path, right? Um, so I think that was, that's really important point. And I think, you know, to, to what you said as well, we want to, of course, acknowledge those who have been harmed and not minimize what happened, but to acknowledge that it is possible, especially when there is intervention that happens early, um, to have positive outcomes, right? So um, I think that's, that's a really important point to make. Um, so Jane, let me move to you. And, and I was wondering if you can talk about why is this type of abuse so often not discovered? Like, is it just, you know, that parents don't know what signs to look for? Like, can you talk a little bit more about why, why it's, you know, I, I, I alluded to some of those things of why it's not disclosed, but you, you're more of an expert on this. So can you share more about that and, and what parents should be doing to be more aware? Uh, I'm going to address this in a, in a few ways. First of all, Rosalia, I want to say thank you for having us on your platform. And thank you for being so informed. You know, you were able to report back to what Maria was saying and you get it. And, and I had no doubts that you would, but it's, it's clear to me that you've taken time and, and effort to really try and understand this complex trauma. So thank you from five waves. We are so grateful. Um, part of the reason it's not reported is I'm going to refer to what I've heard from survivors as well as my story. I didn't understand that what I was experiencing was sexual abuse, which I think that, you know, you talk about a lot of adult and child and children don't always understand that it's sexual abuse. That's right. the first thing. And as, as with child on child and sibling, it can start out as curiosity and lead to abuse. And that's exactly what happened in my situation. My sibling told me we speak, he told me he was curious. He was 12. I was six. He had questions and I was there. And so he started trying to use me as a science project to discover what, to answer his questions. Well, his body responded as a 12 year old body should, and then he wanted more. So his curiosity did lead to abuse. And I do want to state that even if it happens one time and it's curiosity, if it's experienced as abuse from the child who is harmed, it's still abuse. There's mm -hmm. that. Um, so when we're talking about siblings and child on child, it could be that neither child recognizes what's going on as abusive. Uh, the child who's harmed or the child who's harming. They may understand to an extent it's wrong, but they may not have the cognitive ability or the vocabulary to understand and verbalize what's happening. Right. And in fact, they may not realize it until decades later and think, oh gosh, that was wrong. I actually have people who've caused harm reach out to me in their 20s and they feel horrible. Um, they're reflecting back as a child. So there's that. And then there is the stigma. Um, survivors tell me that they will take this secret to their grave because it would break their parents' heart, their mom's heart to know that they should, she couldn't forgive them. So those mm -hmm. are a few things um, that that's why it's not disclosed. I'm going to let Hope kind of handle some of the parent questions because she's really. Yeah. Yeah. Has, has, has handled that um, herself directly with, with a, an early disclosure, yes. right? Sorry, you were going to did you want to say something, Maria? Can I just say one quick thing, too? And just some of us don't remember, like I said. I mean, some of us literally, our brains put it out of our mm -hmm. mind, and we don't 
remember. <laughs> so um, the reason, and I, I remember when I was 42, yeah. so it does come up later. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, I yeah. can relate to that as well. I, my memories didn't surface until I had children and realized this, this actually did happen. I thought it was, you know, bad dreams or false memories. Like I wasn't, you know, even sure. And um, similar situation where for me, it was my father and, and it had happened to my sister. So connecting the dots was, was easier because I recognized that that, that was very possible. Um, but yeah, I think for many survivors, it isn't until decades later, you know, that memories will surface and they, they realize what happened. So even if they wanted to report in, in that time, it was blocked out, you know, so um, yeah, and I'll move that question back over to, to Hope, if you want to, to add to that, um, you know, what, if you can share a bit about, you know, your story and how you ended up discovering or, or if your child, children disclosed, can you share about? Um... Thank you so much for having us. And um, wow, I, Rosalia, I am just blown away by the way you have already communicated so much information that has taken me years as a parent going through it, and I am still very much in it um, mm -hmm. to find some of that language. So you are a very special person on this planet, and thank you, thank you so much for doing the work that you're doing. Um, the way I found out about what was happening in my family, I didn't see any signs of sexual abuse or any abuse or any wrongdoing between my children. We are a close family. Me and my husband, we're high school sweethearts. We've been together a very long time. We have three beautiful boys. You know, we raise them as involved parents, involved in the community, involved in every way that you would imagine parents being involved in their children's worlds and lives. And one evening, call it mother's intuition, call it a, a message from beyond, I don't know. I really don't know. But I walked in to one of my boys' bedrooms and my two older boys were in there, let me just say, fully clothed, looked like a normal evening, no different than any other night that had come before it. But for whatever reason, something felt wrong in the pit of my stomach mm. and to this day and I have replayed that moment millions of times in my head I can't possibly tell you why that was or why I connected that feeling to the potential of sexual abuse like I didn't even know my brain was capable mm. of thinking such a thought so when you speak about it not being on parents' radars or hearing from parents, yeah, never would I have thought in a million years. I had never heard of this. I didn't know anyone who was affected by this. I had no reason to believe it was happening between my children. But I listened to my, my gut, and I am so grateful that I did. Mm -hmm. And I confronted my middle child and not wanting to ask leading questions or plant any seeds in his head of something horrible if it was not happening. Um, I really was dancing and tiptoeing around sort of 
how I was asking questions about, you know, is there anything going on that you want to share, et cetera? Right. To make a very to make a very long story short, he eventually disclosed that yes, my older son had been touching him inappropriately, and he, at my older son's request, was touching back, um, and he was crying and he was upset, but he didn't know so much why he was crying and upset. And at that time, he was nine years old. So that evening, I mean, when I say we barely scratched the surface, it doesn't even come close. Mm. <laughs> All I knew is we had a big problem on our hands. As far as I knew, I didn't know anything about my youngest son yet, who had already been sleeping. And I knew my children needed help. All of my children needed help. We were in a crisis that immediately affected everyone. I had no idea what to do. And as you read from my bio, where do you turn when you don't know the answers but Google? And I remember being up all night watching the sun come up at dawn, having been pounding away at the keyboard for hours upon hours upon hours. And I had not one piece of information when my boys woke up the next morning. And yeah. that's where our journey started. That's where our journey started. So, yeah, what would I say to parents? I, I have often, and we speak about this in five waves, I try to put myself back in the shoes of the mother I was four or five years ago. Imagining someone telling me about an Instagram Live or a book, like you should learn about this. In the same way they say, have you heard about this new act that's really dangerous for kids? Or have you spoken to how have you had the conversation around drugs with your kids? All those conversations. If somebody had said that to me about sibling sexual trauma, to be very honest and blunt, I would have said to myself, that doesn't happen in families like ours. Right. That's not, I don't need to go to that lecture. That's not information I need. I don't need to listen to that. Of course my kids would never do anything like that. So for every parent listening now or who will listen to this later, hear my words. I was you. I was the mom walking around who couldn't even imagine that this was something that had words, that had meaning, and that happened to anybody, let alone happen under my own roof, in front of my own eyes. I yeah. am that parent. So yeah. that's what I would say is even if you can't fathom it, listen anyway. Right, right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for saying that. And, and thank you for sharing your story. I know that it's it's not easy to, to, to share that. I mean, and knowing what I know now, I realize that it can happen because children are curious. Um, and a lot of parents just don't recognize that that curiosity can be taken to another level, you know, and this is why teaching body safety, being aware, educated, spreading the word about this is so important. So thank you for sharing your story. I want to be clear. I was also the parent who had the body safety talk, who read the children's book, who used 
anatomically correct terms for all of the body parts, who talked about safe touch, who talked about boundaries. We talked about all of this. Like that, to me, again, this is just me talking, that was part of being a good parent. That is what I did. So I did all of that. And I think to your point, Rosalia, and Maria touched on this, and Jane touched on this, when I asked my son, my middle son, why didn't you tell me? How come you didn't tell me this was going on? He said, Mommy, I didn't know it was wrong. I thought this is what all brothers do. Mm. I thought that this was what you got to do when you got a little bit older. And I thought that his brother was playing this new game that he had sort of like finally arrived at. Mm. And so again, how do children know things are wrong? Children know things are wrong because we teach them that they're wrong. Right. But how many parents are specifically calling out in those body safety talks and in those boundary conversations, how many parents are naming this includes your siblings, mommy, daddy. It's like if you don't name it, a kid doesn't know. Yeah. 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 Thank you for highlighting that. And and it's interesting. And I'll, and I'll share a quick story about my own kids as well, because to your point, um, you know, I think that there is this misconception that it's going to happen outside of the home. Right. And we don't think about intrafamilial abuse, whether that's a parent, a sibling, a family member, grandparents. Right. So we tend to even though we say 90 percent of abuse happens by people we know, I think a lot of parents tend to think it's still someone outside the home. It could be a teacher, a coach, a babysitter, a daycare provider, right? But we don't look inside the home. And um, unfortunately, that was my mom's blind spot as well, you know, with not recognizing that it was, you know, the potential was within the home. Um, when my boys were younger, my kids are now between the ages of seven and 11. Um, but when my kids were younger, I think somewhere around like four or five years old, you know, the, the age range around there, three to five, there's so many, and, and I think this is a point that I, I, a lot of parents don't realize, is because of the, the prevalence for, for sibling abuse it is so much higher because there's so much opportunity that we neglect to, to look at, right? So there's bath time, there's, you know, if they're sleeping in the same room, if they're, you know, playing playtime with the door closed. Um, and if, again, we don't name it specifically, then you know we we will overlook these these circumstances and so in my particular situation i remember my kids being younger and they were you know having bath time and i would always um you know even though i knew they weren't at the age past you know where they would drown in the bathtub and they're both playing in there together it's easy for a parent to be like okay i'll you know i'm just gonna walk away i'll be back in a bit i you're you're overhearing everything but i remember because of my awareness and vigilance i was purposefully always kind of like within earshot even if I'm scrolling on my phone I'm like in the room and I remember them playing and you know again a lot of times it can even start as something not even curiosity but just playing where all of a sudden they touch each other and it's like oh that feels good hey let's play a tickle game right and it turns into something very different than what it started with and I noticed that with my boys and I you know would say to them like you know reminders of hey, we're not supposed to touch private parts. Like, let's remember that. And, you know, they would stop as soon as I would mention it. But every so often I would see that they would kind of try to sneak in this play that they were doing. 
And again, it's not malicious. It's not that, you know, they're intentionally trying to abuse each other. It was just like, hey, this feels good. And so I think this is why comprehensive education is so key in just talking about, hey, I recognize that that feels good. And, you know, we have to keep our hands to ourselves, our bodies, our own, like, you know, it turned into them getting out of the bath, getting dressed, right? And they're in the bedroom getting ready for bed. But they're nude, getting dressed, and they're they're kind of like trying to tickle each other. And I notice again the hands going in those areas, and I I had to actually step away. I actually got triggered in that moment, being a survivor, recognizing like, are my kids trying to do this on purpose? Like what you know, and recognizing okay, I have to calm myself down before I respond because my initial response was going to be to yell and say, hey, you know, I, this is not okay. And like overreacting. So I had to literally step away, take a breath, come back in and say, okay, guys, we need to have a conversation here about this. This episode is brought to you by Consent Parenting, my online platform that teaches parents how to talk to their kids and the adults in their kids' lives about body safety, boundaries, and consent so that they can dramatically reduce the risks for sexual abuse. Head over to consentparenting.com to learn more about the free resources available to all parents so that they can keep their families safer. Now, let's get back to the show. And my older son actually said, but it's my body and my rules, and I'm, I'm saying it's okay. I'm giving consent, right? So we really need to dive like as deep as we need to with these conversations with kids. And like you said, Hope, we have to name it and say, you know, just because it's your brother doesn't mean that that's okay. And here's why you can't consent, right? And we had to go into the whole conversation about why it's not appropriate for a child at that age and, you know, going into that, into those levels. But I think I may have missed that opportunity if I wasn't aware because I thought, oh, you know, they're just brothers, like, they're just whatever, like, go get dressed, guys. And it could have escalated, right? So I think it, these kinds of conversations and, and why I'm so grateful for your organization is that this is raising awareness so that parents can intervene in those situations before it escalates um, to try to, you know, communicate as much and as often as necessary to go deeper in these conversations, right? And, you know, this is not to, for any parent who has gone through this and who's, who's you know, children have had these situations. I want to also say this is not to shame anybody and say, oh, you did it wrong or you, you missed something. Not at all, because we didn't have access to this information. My mother didn't have access to this information to know that she, you know, should have been maybe more aware of my father's behavior. And, you know, so this is not at all to say somebody did it wrong or anything. It's just to say, this is why this education is so needed. And these conversations have to go more in depth. Maria, I know you wanted to say something. And I know. Yeah, I just want to say also, um, we talked about kids not knowing it's wrong. I did know it was wrong. And um, it, o it only happened once with me. But I was, you know, it was it was shocking. I froze. It was shocking. It was, you know, I it didn't, I just knew I was 10. And at just some level, I'd never heard of it. I didn't know. We never had any of these talks growing up at all. But I just knew it was wrong. And it, and it went you know, it went away in my brain, I think, because, um, and a lot of it, maybe because I didn't get a, I didn't get a response from my parents. I, I didn't actually say what happened, but I, I asked my mom if I, if I could sleep with her. And we think, <laughs> I think that's what happened. Um, but, and, you know, I took that as a rejection when you say to your 10 year old, you know, go to bed. 
Um, so I never really got to say it. Um, right. right. I didn't know, I didn't have the words for it. So, so, so it still can, still can know that it's wrong and not be able to communicate. And, um, and, and those reactions of our parents are, are really important. And my, I don't blame my mom at all because she, there was nothing for her to see. Like, I, and then from then on, I was a good kid. Was, right. There was nothing for her to see. So, so it's really thing, not only the kids about not being touched and everything, but not right. what you don't do to somebody right, else right. and all that. Yeah, so, and I think you know. that, the, you know, thank you for, for sharing that. Because I think it's important to also acknowledge this happens in so many different ways, different ages. Um, you know, it can happen once or it can happen over, you know, like, um, like Jane said, over years. Like, it, it's not something that we can quantify and say, you know, this means this. So, you know, I think that that's also an important point to make is it, the, the variation in the ways that this can happen where, you know, like you said, a child may know it's wrong or may not know it's wrong. They may know that it was abuse or they may not know it was abuse. Um, it, there can be a very big age gap or there can be no age gap, right? You can have twins that, you know, and it's the same situation. So I think, you know, that's what, what uh, I think we need more education around. And so to your point, um, you know, I think one of you had, had shared that there aren't a lot of resources and hope you had talked about this, like you were online for, you know, the whole night and really came up against nothing. And um, I think one of the, the questions that a lot of parents have, and maybe hope I can bring this back to you, is what do you do? What is the next step if you discover this, right? Because I think a lot of parents this is again, you know, to what Maria was saying earlier, people don't disclose, they don't share or children don't disclose, but when the parent discovers it, they may not report it either because they're unsure of what to do. What are the right steps? How do you protect your children and your family? So can you talk about what were your next steps towards helping your children, figuring out what to do? What would, what would you like parents to know, um, you know, if they come across this, what are, what's the right thing for them to do next? Okay, so first off, because there's so little information and because there's no guidebook and no expert and no best standards or best practices, there's not one right thing to do next. I would say the most important thing is to internalize that your children and your family need help. And if you can acknowledge that you need help from professionals, and, and there's a lot of people that can go under that umbrella to start to guide you in your journey, then you are already off to the right start. For parents who either can't, can't accept or can't even wrap their heads around how they're going to handle it, I think often because there's this internal feelings and I think of all parents, but I think particularly in mothers of, I have to fix this. I have to solve this. I am the parent, something is wrong with my children and I have to fix this. No one in this situation can quote unquote fix or help any part of this situation by them it is impossible mm -hmm. so I would say step one acknowledge that there's a situation and acknowledge that you need to seek outside help from that point forward I'm not going to lie it is a scary journey and there are 
so many things to consider. So I can share what I did for me personally, and then I can also direct people to our website, www.siblingsexualtrauma.com, and let you know that my way is not the only way. I knew immediately when the sun rose that I needed to start calling therapists for my middle son, okay? He was mm -hmm. the one who disclosed. He was the one who shared what was happening. I knew immediately that had to be item number one. One A, <laughs> not even yeah. step two, but one A was I needed to call someone who could help my older son. Two very different issues, two very different modalities of treatment that were going to be needed for which I didn't even know what those were, but I knew that I loved them both through every fiber of my being and that I, as their mom, my job was to do whatever I had to do, whatever was in my power to do to get them the help that they needed. And I knew for a fact that that help wasn't going to come from me. I was going to support them and love them and let them know that I was not going anywhere and I was not abandoning anyone, but I needed professionals to help me decide what was next. And this sort of brings us back full circle, all of the therapists that I called, not one single person had any experience mm -hmm. dealing with either a child who was harmed by a sibling through sexual abuse or a child who harmed another sibling. And so then as a parent, it's what you do with everything, right? Like how do you pick a pediatrician for your kids? You look for reviews, you see people right. who are in practice, you look at their credentials, you take a deep breath and you take a leap of faith and say, I really hope this works because I really don't know what else I'm gonna do. And so I also knew both from, a, from prior roles and also just I, I was informed that therapists are mandated reporters. Right. And I knew full well that the second either of my children started speaking to a therapist, which was non-negotiable, step one, immediately, that those therapists were going to be reporting the situation in whatever means that meant. I didn't even know the process. I never had to go through this before. And quite frankly, at that moment, I didn't care. I know for a lot of parents, it is a tremendous amount of fear that is poured into them and fills them up. And I'm not I'm nothing special. I had all of that fear. I had all of that fear. But in those moments, that fear had to come second to doing whatever I needed to do to get my kids help. And when you as a mom or a parent don't know how to help your kids yourself, that is a really, really, really horrible feeling. Yeah. And so I just, so, so for me, it was knowing I had a problem, 
and knowing I needed help and started pounding the pavement or the keypad on the phone and started trying to find it. And also knowing, and this took me a long time to really come to terms with, this wasn't strep throat. <laughs> You're not going to the doctor, getting an antibiotic, and all better in three to five days. Right. It, it just isn't. So this was the very beginning. These were the teeny, teeny, tiny baby steps that I knew I had to take to get the ball rolling. And it's scary because once the ball starts rolling, momentum happens, and there is a piece of you that loses control. It just, it, it's the nature of our systems, and we can get into that later on or at another interview, but the systems themselves are so broken. Mm. But yeah, it is what it is. It's what we're working with. Right. We live here. This is what we're doing. And paramount above all was my kids need help. My kids need help. My kids need help. And I just kept repeating that mantra over and over and over again between hysterical crying and shaking from fear and cursing the world and shame and wanting to hide and wanting to die, all of that, all together. You know, I, I wasn't this stoic person going out and, you know, doing the virtuous thing. I was a mom crumbling. I, you know, I, I use this expression, which holds true to this day, and we are almost three years post-disclosure. That night, I felt literally, physically, in my body, that the ground beneath me separated, and I was just free-falling. Mm. And I have continued to free-fall. I will say now there are some twigs and branches that are sticking out that maybe I can grab a hold of for a few minutes, a day. But that is what it has felt like. Well. And, and it's hard you know, we live in a world where it's all about control, right? Like, we need to know what we're doing, who we are, how we're, how we're moving forward. Give us the rule book. Give us the guidebook. Give us the instructions. Yeah. There's none of that. Yeah. So to accept that feeling of free-falling, man, oh, man, it's hard. It's just very hard. Yeah. Wow. So, well, thank you for sharing again. I mean, um, you, it, it's a very powerful story, I think, for a lot of parents to hear um, because, you know, you, you don't imagine it, it possibly happening. And then when you do imagine it happening, you still have no idea what, what the next steps are after, you know, finding out that something has happened. And, and I think that's really um, important information. So thank you for sharing that. And I wanted to ask, did you get support for yourself? Because I know for a lot of parents, it, particularly if they are survivors themselves, this can be, I think, even more triggering to recognize that this has happened now. And, you know, it can, it can just feel incredibly overwhelming. Like you said, the, the ground is opened mm -hmm. up and you're free falling. So were you and your husband, um, or, or at the very least yourself, able to get support? And, and is that, has that been part of this, this process as well so that you can support your children? That is such a great question. Um, the reality is, is that in the beginning, no, we didn't seek support for ourselves. We were so focused and so consumed and overwhelmed getting the right supports in place for all of our children and going through the processes that were required, dealing with 
CPS, dealing with law enforcement, dealing with residential treatment centers, dealing with education consultants and psychiatrists and therapists. I mean, it, it was just getting through every minute of every day was, was more than we could actually handle. Down the, as we kept going on, and, and certainly as our boys got into the, um, got into the therapeutic relationships that they needed to be in, in order to get the help they needed, we started getting guidance from their therapist. And it really wasn't until, um, I guess we were a year and a half in probably, that we started seeking counseling together. And I will say, backing that up, I already had had a, a relationship with a therapist, and I was continuing erratically with support. I found my greatest support from starting the Facebook group and knowing that I wasn't alone, and then support in a way that I not everybody is so lucky that I met Jane and Maria and our partners, Brandy and Fiona, and the combination of having support from other parents who have gone through it and from survivors who give me hope every single day that there's something on the other side of this for my children, mm. that is the greatest support I could ask for. That's great. Yeah, I think I think it's amazing that you turned this challenge, uh, you know, this this obviously um, very impactful and challenging situation into something that you're now using to help other parents. So I have so much gratitude for you sharing um, so openly about this, and and I know that it's difficult to do that in in a sense to continuously almost relive that situation, but. It, it gives so much insight and valuable information to other parents. So I just want to say thank you so much. I, I have just as much gratitude for you, um, enlightening all of us. And, you know, education is so key. But even um, more importantly, I think, is also the support to have a community for parents, um, you know, where there are resources and, and support available. And and for all three of you, I mean, I think that Five Waves, I think, has is, is been obviously a huge gap. Um, it's it's kind of shocking to me that there hasn't been anything up to this point that there's been so little out there um, on such a big topic. And, you know, again, just because of how, um, how much opportunity there is for siblings, right, to engage in this way, that it's like, how was this not been talked about more before? And how is there not more resources already available? And how are there not more therapists out there? You know, and I think a big part of it is, just that fear, like you said, of speaking up about this, seeking the support, knowing that if you if you reach out to a therapist, they're a mandated reporter, and and just you know dealing with all of that fear. So, your organization is helping you know dispel uh, both the myths and the lack of education and the fear, um, and and providing support and resources. So, I have so much gratitude for all three of you for for what you're doing. Um, as we wrap up, I would love for each of you to share um, your own uh, sort of nugget of, of wisdom of what you would like parents to walk away with. And what is the support that, you know, what, what can they find at Five Waves if they were looking to learn more? I'll start with you, Maria. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess that I sort of sum things up in maybe 
three three things. Um, it's very common. It's devastating, but you can do something, and um, either to work to prevent it, or if it has happened, to make it not as bad as it could be, um, if it's happening um, or has happened. Um, and I think you know from from my perspective as a survivor, speaking to your children and not just once, you know, uh, just continue it in the prevention side, just continue, you know, and, you know this is all, all of us have said a long time, but, you know, talk about it, but even when it's disclosed, continue to talk about it because we don't say it all at once at first. And um, even in fact, my mother, I, I recall her asking me something, she's a psychologist and she asked something like, you know, I think she said, did somebody ever do anything to you? Because I heard, did your brother ever do anything to you? Because she doesn't remember asking me that. Excuse me. Um, but I remember consciously deciding not to tell her what had happened. So again, we, we just told it. And so it's, it's just being able to talk openly with the kids and know that it's hard. It's hard for us. We don't understand it. And it's shameful. And we don't want our families to fall apart. So um and and what you can do, and we, we can all share a part of this, but um, like actively now is go to the siblingsexualtrauma.com website. There's lots of resources there. Also, what fivewaves.org, we have information there as well. But um, the resources for parents, for survivors, for the most harm, for professionals, there's so much information there that um, our, our co-founder Brandy really um, put that together before we even met her, and we, we helped launch it. Um, that and there's even siblings. To, there's siblings today, this Saturday, the first world, first ever, but it's a worldwide um, event that Nancy Morris from siblings2.com is organizing. And there's, it's a, it's free to register, and you'll just get a lot of resources. And we've been putting content together for that. We've been um, supporting that and, and contributing to that as well. And that's that's going to have a lot of good information that people can walk away with. Um, and then sharing your stories, whether it's a parent, a family, uh, anyone in, involved can share their stories on siblings2.com anonymously. Nancy is taking those stories to use for research, so, which, yeah. which, as we said, is, is desperately needed. So um, I think those are the ones that, that jump to my mind. That's great. Thank you. Um, okay, I'll turn it over to you, Jane. Oh, wow. Yeah, hope always makes me tear up as well. Um, I think the first thing I want to share with parents is that don't assume all play is harmless. If you walk into something, um, just because a child isn't screaming or crying or protesting, don't assume that it's harmless child play and take Rosalia's courses. And then you'll be able to talk to your children and say, this is, you know, let's talk about this. Where did you learn this? Remain calm. You have Rosalie's courses. You'll be good. Just, I ask that you don't assume that all play is harmless because my, father walked in and just walked out. And then I've heard another survivor, very similar situation. So don't assume it's all harmless. Mm -hmm. um, Maria covered the Siblings 2 day. You can register at uh, siblings2.com slash events. My, my closing thought is this, is if we don't talk about it, if we don't normalize discussions, we will not be able to raise awareness. We will not be able to raise funds for research. We are desperately in need of research. We are desperately in need of educating law enforcement and social workers and psychiatrists and parents. So we have to talk about it. So thank you for having us and letting us normalize this discussion. And um, I think one more thing that I'd like to share is there is a questionnaire on our website 
Someone wrote it. Uh, she went to Stanford, and she's in Israel right now. They're looking for 6,000 participants for people to fill out whether you've had, if you've had a sibling under the same roof, whether you've been abused or not abused. They are trying to raise awareness and funds and determine how prevalent this is. So if you have a sibling and you're open to filling out the applicate the form, that would be great. It does take about 45 minutes and it can be triggering, but you could take a break and come back right where you started. And last thing is, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. And yeah, I think it, it's important to gather as much information about this as possible. So if you have the time, please definitely go fill out that form. And I'm, I'm grateful that there's a day now. So it's this Saturday um, that's coming up, you're saying, is, is the day Sibling um, Abuse Day. Is Siblings that what it's called? Today. It's put on by siblings2.com. Yeah, that's great. That's great to know. And I also just want to put a pin in also something that you and Hope both said, which is to listen to your gut. You know, like if you think that there might be something, listen to your gut. I think this is something that I talk about all the time with anyone, uh, you know, that you think there's something going on, whether it's an adult or a child or a sibling, right? And uh, again, it's not about villainizing and saying, I have a bad feeling. It's just about saying something doesn't feel right and listening to our intuition because it's it's that mother gut feeling that is trying to tell us something. So thank you for, for pointing that out. And um, I'll move it over to you, Hope. Um, last words on what you would like parents to know and um, you know anything else that you'd like to share about Five Waves. Um, sure. So people have been asking great questions. So I, again, I just want to urge people that a lot of the questions, there's information at those websites, siblingsexualtrauma.com and fivewaves.org. Um, I want to say that, I want to say that if this happens in your family, your family is not bad. You're not bad people. You're not bad parents. I'd be a hypocrite if I said that I feel that way every day. I don't. I question myself. Uh, it's a part of my own process. Um, and that it's a roller coaster and you can't get off as much as you want to. And, but the alternative is so much more dangerous and devastating long-term to your children, to you, to your family and extended family and community. And there will be people who will judge and there will be people you thought were friends that will no longer be friends, and that is a sad reality. But the ones who are meant to be in your life will drop anything to be there for you. And everyone else, I'm going to keep it PG, but you know what to say. Just let them go. <laughs> yeah. no, just let them go. And um, also that trauma like this, it's horrific, but like what Jane said, it doesn't always look horrific from the outside. You look at my boys from the outside looking in. You look at me or my husband from the outside looking in. You meet me in a coffee shop for 20 minutes. You have no idea what's going on behind my doors. Absolutely yeah. no idea. So just because you don't see it, it's like, you know, it's a lot of what we've been dealing with as a society with regard to mental illness. It's invisible. And it's hard for people to accept that and to understand that. So 
I just encourage you to learn. And if this has never touched your life, you can still help. The next time you take your kids to the pediatrician, ask your pediatrician, hey, I saw this Instagram live. Do you, have you heard of this? You know, how do you educate parents on this? Next time you're going to your therapist, mention it. That's the only way we're going to get around, we're going to get the word out there, and people who need the help are going to get the help. And hopefully our goal, our ultimate goal, is that we can mitigate the number of circumstances. And just, Rosalia, thank you, thank you, thank you. On behalf of all of us and on behalf of all of the parents, I know in the parent Facebook group, maybe who are not on this Instagram Live, we will tell them about it. These people are literally longing for people like you who are taking their voice and using their voice and their platforms and their influence to get the word out. Because yeah. it's otherwise a very lonely place. So thank you. Thank you. Uh, I think this is, you know, this is, this is a community effort. And, you know, much to your last point, especially, we have to all talk about this. And I'm, oh, you know, this is what I'm constantly normalizing these conversations. We can't, we have to dismantle the taboo around this topic in general, but even especially in these specific pockets of abuse where it feels overwhelming. And so it's, you know, more comfortable to not talk about it but then we find ourselves in way worse, more uncomfortable conversations. Maria. And can I just follow what one hope said, you know, if you, you have to address it, you, if you don't, basically if you don't, that one child or whoever is the, the victim, uh, the one who's harmed is carrying the burden, all those burdens, that one person, that one child yeah. who then becomes yeah. the adult. So Absolutely. I, and I, I think that that's, um, something that unfortunately a lot of families still do, um, whether it's, you know, an adult family member or a cousin or a sibling, you know, like you said at the beginning, it, whoever it is that's living in the home, right? Um, it just changes the dynamic of how to deal with it. And a lot of people think it's just easier to brush it under the rug. We don't talk about it and we'll just pretend it never happened and we just move on. And the person who was harmed, the child that was harmed, um, can't move on. And, you know, this is something that they carry into their adulthood. Um, without that support, it can be a really a challenging, a lot of um, very scary long-term effects. You know, like you said, to your point, like chronic illnesses, mental health issues that are being carried into adulthood. So it's really important to um, address this and to get the right support for, for everyone in the family, really, everyone. you know, including, including the, the parents, I think. Including the um, child who so, caused harm. Cause I do have people who have caused yeah. harm reach out to me on, on the brink of suicide as well. We don't want that for any of our children. No, so. no exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, it's intervention for everyone, right? It's really about providing the right support so that you can continue healing and moving forward in the best way possible, um, even though it can be challenging and it can take years, you know, like you're saying, Hope, you're in year three of this now. Um, and, you know, children are developing at different ages. They're going to need different levels of support at different stages. Um, and, and just the more that we learn ourselves and the more support that we get, the better that we can do at 
giving support to our children and, you know, managing ourselves, you know, ourselves as parents. And I also wanted to point out something that you said, Hope, that I think is really important too, is that I think it's key for parents to not beat themselves up and think that their family is now a bad family. Um, and, you know, if there is someone who is making you feel that way, they don't belong in your life, you have to surround yourself by people who are going to support you and help you and your family move forward, right? So I think that that's a really um, important point to make because I think that's part of the fear of getting support and speaking out is that you're going to be shut out and ostracized, but the people that truly love and care about you are the ones that are going to stand by you and we can hold on to those anchors, um, you know, within within our community, even if it's a small community. And groups like yours, you know, thank you for creating that parent group because I think, you know, otherwise, where where would they turn to? So thank you for creating what you, you know, didn't have. Um, I want to encourage everyone. And I, is it okay if people do have questions, they can contact all of you directly? Is that all right? Or would you prefer that people just go straight to the website? They can contact us and they can also email info at fivewaves.org or they can contact us individually. If they contact us at fivewaves.org, info at fivewaves.org, email then it's kind of tailored to what their specific question may be. If they're a survivor, then Maria and I can respond. If it's a parent, then a parent can respond. So, or okay. Instagram. Yeah, because yeah, it goes to all five yeah. last one you do it. Okay, perfect. And then you would know who, to, who um, would answer but, it. And, and all right, when perfect. we can help someone else, that helps heal us. So we're, yes. we're, we are thrilled to be able to help someone. Fantastic. All right. Well, so siblingsexualtrauma.com and fivewaves.org are the two websites that I want to direct you all to. Thank you all for sharing, um, for being here. And uh, if, you know, if there's any way that we can continue to support you through education, through awareness, please keep spreading the word, share this with other parents, let them know about this so that we can help protect children. And for those who have been affected so that they can get the right support that they need. We'll see you next time. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Bye. Don't miss the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture, one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.